Good morning, church. Good to be here with you. Appreciate Dan vouching for us that we are still members here, even though we usually go to the early morning service when we're in town. I'm going to disappoint some of you this morning. Usually when I stand up in front of this church, I'm telling some exciting mission stories from someplace and the way God has led. And the easiest thing in the world for me would be for me to do that again. But I want to challenge you this morning with some trends I see in the church, with some concerns that I have as we mature as Adventists. If Bob would let me put in a subtitle of this sermon, it would have been the challenge of being both distinctive and inclusive. Because that is a challenge I think that we are facing as an Adventist church today. This is not a new issue to the church. The Bible is full of stories of people who were very distinctive, stood up for exactly what they felt was important, sometimes lost their lives because of it. Daniel praying in public, and they can go on and on. The Bible is also full of stories. The Apostle Paul, I would be everything to every man that I may win some, reaching out and being inclusive to others. As some of you know, my roots go back to the Northwest. I grew up in the beautiful countryside of northern Idaho. That's right. Part of a little country church in Troy, Idaho, 65 members, two-room church school, two teachers. Great place. My parents kind of anchored that church, and it's Good to have them here today, Mom and Dad. Uh, why don't you stand? This church don't know you, but my parents, Lewis, Lewis and Ruth Hart. Many of you have come from backgrounds somewhat similar to that. Maybe not quite as beautiful a place, but somewhat similar to that background. In fact, as I was sitting down here looking up at these hay bales, I wish I had a nickel for every bale I'd loaded onto trucks and put in the barn for many, many hot summers in Idaho. That was a distinctive sort of thing. In fact, if you missed the little sign as you entered Troy, Idaho, that says the Adventist church was three miles out in the country, you would hardly have known we existed. Because we were following the pattern of many churches of the day that we were apart, we were distinctive. But it was a great child incubator. It was a great place to come from. Only got kicked out of school once, as I remember, from throwing a snowball that somehow hit the back of the teacher's bottom. <laughs> it was good my dad was chairman of the school board, so we worked that out. That's part of what made this church distinctive. Let me fast forward a bit. We have been members here at Calamasa now for 30 years, exactly this summer. And a lot has changed during that time. Never saw hay bales on the platform back in those early days, Bob. Never heard some of the music we hear now. Some I don't even remember now, 15, 20 years ago, some of you will certainly remember, one of our pastors, senior pastors, Dan Simpson, had dreams of creating another church, building another church down near the freeway that could witness to the world. This church pulled back. We weren't sure we were ready for that. We struggled with 
the distinctiveness versus the inclusiveness and where we should come down on those issues. As you can imagine, we struggle with this all the time at Loma Linda. Where is the balance? How much do we maintain our distinctiveness and still be inclusive? If you come to our campus, you will find all the way from a group called Advent Hope, the meeting in Burden Hall, fairly conservative, all the way over to what one of my friends called the Happy Clappy Bunch uh, <laughs> that meet in another place. A broad spectrum of people worshiping the same God. And I would argue passionately that I really don't care the style of worship if we can come together and worship the same God. Because there's many groups in between, all seeking their own level of comfort. One of the challenges we have at Loma Linda is the number of students from other faith traditions that want to come study there. We get 10,000 applicants every year saying, we want to come to your campus. We want to be part of you. We like what we see. What should we do with that? We can't take them all. Who should we select? A few years ago, we changed chapel from 8 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock Wednesday morning as a means to try to feature that particular thing, the only time when we come together as a campus to worship God. And we put a lot of energy into that programming. And chapel has grown from being one of the things on surveys that students says, yeah, okay, I probably slept through it, to now being a central part of the campus worship. On a recent survey, it was ranked one of the top features of the campus. On that same survey, we now have about 60 different faith traditions on our campus, different religious backgrounds. You know who appreciated our campus the most? The Catholics. How can that be? Is that right? I mean, you remember the Catholics. How can this be? How can we have created an environment or should we have created an environment that is welcoming to all? And not far behind those were the Muslims. So where is this balance between being unique, being distinctive, and being accepting, being inclusive to all that come to us? A few months ago, a group of our faculty were attending a WASC uh, conference. WASC is the Western Association of Schools and Colleges that uh, accredits Loma Linda and a number of other places. And in one of the large uh, study groups that was meeting, um, they were struggling, as all universities are, with how do we teach values today? I mean, how do we help people learn compassion or integrity? I mean, how do we teach those kind of values? I mean, can you teach it? Is it arrogant even to think you can teach those? Or is it something indeed somebody brings from their background? And in the discussion, one of the vice presidents from UC Berkeley turned to Ron Carter, our provost that was sitting there, and says, Dr. Carter, you guys tell us. Loma Linda, you're the only place that's got this figured out. Tell us, how do you do this? And Ron, in his humble way, says, well, we try. 
but we don't really have it figured out either. We're struggling to try to figure out how best to do this. As soon as he stopped speaking, a lady that he didn't know across the room stood up. She said, Dr. Carter, I want to disagree with you. I was a student at Loma Linda in the graduate school. I was part-time, so I didn't have to go to chapel. But I did. And you all have taught me a, a pattern of religion. I'm not a religious person. You all have given me something that's very special that I'm keeping to this day. How do we create that kind of environment that still makes us unique, but makes us accepting of others? I would like to walk you back through some of the trends in the church as I've thought back that I think illustrate the struggles that we have. Probably the first one is with the race issue. Our church founders were very clear on this. You all know the story. Ellen White herself sent her son Edson on the Morning Star down the Mississippi to evangelize in the black communities. And yet, as the years have gone by, I'm afraid we as a church have not been as inclusive as we should be. And we still struggle with remnants of this across this country. Women. Women in ministry. This has belabored this church for years now. So we seek to reach a pattern that will be acceptable to the conservative countries of the world and try to stay together as one church, all the way over to those of us in the Western world who are more accepting. And certainly we haven't heard the end of that story yet. Addictions. I can remember even in my professional career, sitting in committees where we struggled is addiction a disease which somehow gave it an excuse? Or was it just a learned behavior and somehow sin? And what should we do with that? I think we've grown as a church in that area. And accept and understand that indeed people with behaviors that we may not agree with have many, many factors that contribute and push them in those areas, including genetics. I can remember probably 15, 20 years ago, asking this church to host an AA meeting and being turned down. How accepting are we to others? HIV-AIDS. It's been not so long that we kind of all said, well, come on, this disease has nothing to do with us. It's those people who do, do those things that get that disease. And I can tell you across Africa where uh, the disease is so prevalent, it was a number of years before church leaders finally says, ah, I guess it is us. It was not until every church leader, I think, had their own family impacted by that disease that we finally says, boy, we are part of the world. We need to reach out in this area. Homosexuality. 
Is that the latest one? Where are we on that? How do we be distinctive? There's a Bible teaching, a Bible pattern that we understand and hold to as a church. And yet certainly these are children of God, just as any of us are. How do we ride that balance? A few years ago, I was teaching a class for the School of Public Health back in a large eastern city. And when we were teaching in a community center of a local church there, and when the director of the community center heard who I was and that I was there, he wanted to talk with me. So one day after class, uh, I paused and he came and after the students had gone, he says, let me tell you, Dr. Hart, all the things that we're doing here. And he was clearly very proud and should have been proud of all the things that were happening. We have a soup kitchen. We feed those who don't have food. We have a clothing hamper. We give away stuff. We have some classes. We're training this. We're many, many great things. And then he kind of lowered his voice and said, you know, but now we have a problem. Some of these people are starting to come to church. <laughs> and they don't fit in. They don't look like us. They don't smell like us. What are we going to do? And I thought, what a travesty. You see, what we tend to do is to appoint ourselves on God's admissions committee. We decide who really should be part of his church. And then automatically, perhaps subconsciously, say, well, boy, wouldn't they be nice? Or, yeah, I'm not sure they're part of us. I appreciate our own John Pauline broadening our view of what the remnant means. I can remember throughout my growing up years, the remnant was us. We were very clear on that. But I think we would all, I hope, accept the fact now that the remnant truly is that addict, is that HIV AIDS positive person, is all those other people that God has found that indeed love him and cherish his values. We have 28 fundamental beliefs in this church that we have espoused and carefully worked out and so on. Those have many important principles in them. But none of those fundamentals have asked us to create a healthcare system or an educational system. They've grown kind of indirectly out of the fact that we value personal health as a responsibility from God and we value the search for truth. And out of those basic beliefs, this church has evolved a very large, very successful, I think by most standards, healthcare system and educational system. We now have 175 hospitals scattered around the world, 400 and some clinics, an incredible system by any standard in which we particularly seek to push our understanding of health, of lifestyle, and so on. 
But that system is challenged, and I can tell you that. You all know that. Reimbursement levels, finding adequate staffing. Many of our hospitals now have only a fraction of the staff for ad members of the Adventist Church. What should we do? Should we shut them down? Is there a certain level we shouldn't go below? What should we do? These are the problems that administrators face, frankly, today as we seek to manage this healthcare system. I would suggest that for most people in the world, their main understanding of the Adventist Church does not come from the 28, but comes from some contact with either healthcare or education programs of this church. How do we make those programs effective in reaching out and bringing them to God? And our educational system. And my heart is heavy as I look at where we're heading in this country in particular. If I look abroad, the church is growing. We now have 103 colleges and universities in the Adventist church. We have something like 1.3 million students attending the Adventist system somewhere in the world. In North America, we have 14 colleges and universities. If you were to go back 25 years, we had 12. We've added two, Kettering and Florida, both health science institutions. We now have seven colleges and seven universities in that system. 25 years ago, there were 25,000 students in those, four, in those 12 universities and colleges almost all of whom were members of the Adventist Church. Today, there are approximately 25,000 students in those 14 institutions. Only 17,000 of those are members of the Adventist Church. And if you pull out the health science programs, which are the ones that are continuing to grow, the number of Adventists in our liberal arts colleges is significantly down over the last 25 years. And if you search out the reasons for that, it's fairly easy to find because our primary schools, our secondary schools are also down. My little school in Troy, Idaho, Big Meadow School, the name says it all, is no longer. A report in the Pacific Union Recorder just a few months ago documented that in this union, there's been an 18% decrease in attendance at Adventist primary and secondary schools over the past 10 years alone. 18% down. Even us non-statisticians can predict that's a trend that isn't sustainable. Where are we going as a church? Are we able to value these things enough to rethink our systems? to reposition our priorities and to try to maintain the witness to the world that we have been known for for so many years. I have great concerns about that. Not only for the church, for our colleges, the feeder system brings up into those. For Loma Linda, we are now to the point where half of our student body come from other faith traditions. We select all the qualified Adventists we can possibly find and then fill the ranks with others who are committed to common principles that would be comfortable and desire to be on our campus. That's a challenge that we must face.
In closing, I want to share one more story with you that I think is just unfolding, actually, but uh, exemplifies a little bit of what our educational system has done through the years. And I'm delighted, Alfred, to hear Mesa Grande is holding its own uh, because some of our schools are doing well, even while others struggle. Back in the early part of the 20th century, a young man was born in the Northwest by the name of Mark Keltner. Early in life, he was orphaned, bounced around through some foster homes, trying to kind of make his way through life, finally ended up being taken in by an Adventist family, the Rudolph family up in the state of Washington. They cared for him as best they could. They had a little small farm. He worked hard, kind of worked out as working with all the things that they do to try to survive on a farm back in the 20s. They finally says, Mark, let's do what we can to send you to Auburn Academy. So they scraped together all their resources. He worked hard at Academy and made it through four years of Auburn Academy up out of Seattle. Finished there, went on to Walla Walla. Discovered after one year at Walla Walla, he simply couldn't work enough to support himself and pay tuition and make it through Walla Walla. And so he decided he had to come up with a different plan hitchhiked down to California, down to Los Angeles, started getting odd jobs around L.A. County Medical Center, working, trying to go to school some, finally was able to finish his college education. Applied to Loma Linda, got accepted. Started attending medical school at Loma Linda in 1946. Our records don't show whether he was actually a member of the church or not, but made it through Loma Linda, did his internship, and went off to Beverly Hills to practice. We lost contact with him at that time. As far as we can tell, there was no active relationship with Loma Linda or anything else for probably 40 or 50 years. He met and married one of the Florsheim daughters, Florsheim Shoe Company, and became a true fixed fixture of the Southern California community. In 1997, Dr. Keltner read an article in the School of Medicine Alumni Journal written by Dr. Jaton, James Jaton, who's an avid supporter of Loma Linda, about giving back. And he says, yes, I need to start giving back. So he contacted us and shortly thereafter established a $1.5 million chair in the family of medicine at Loma Linda. More years went by. His wife finally died. In November of last year, Alvin Grohar, one of our development staff who had maintained contact with him during this time since he gave the chair, he wrote to Alvin on email saying, Alvin, would you please send me some Ellen White books in large print? He was now in his late 80s. It's hard to find hard copy, hard copy hardcover Ellen White books in large print. We discovered that, uh, but found what we could find and started sending him books. Dr. Keltner died a couple months ago, and we've recently been contacted by his lawyer that he's left $10 million for the Department of Family Medicine at Loma Linda. And I would wager, and I wish I could tell him, that credit goes back to the Rudolph family. Years ago, 
who took in a young foster kid and planted Adventist principles. We desperately need to rethink our educational system, to reposition it, to figure out new ways of funding, to make a system that can continue to support all the unique aspects of this church, to maintain our distinctives, but add in our inclusiveness so that we indeed can be a church that's worthy of being part of the remnant. I want to close by sharing with you a saying, some of you have heard me use this before, but it seems so appropriate, entitled $3 worth of God. It's a satire on how most of us go through life. It says, I would like to buy just $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. I don't want enough of him to make me love an alcoholic or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy just $3 worth of God, please. My prayer for this church is that indeed we may be sensitive to the times. We may have the courage to hang on to our distinctives and be brave enough to be inclusive in all that we do.
Father in heaven, we've come to you this morning, both as celebrants of the incredible gift you've given us, the unique understanding, the fellowship, the commitment that this church represents. But Father, we also have our hearts full of some of the challenges that we are facing, some of the needs that we have that we simply don't see our way through. We invite your presence, Father, in each of our lives, on the committees that meet, on the decisions that are made, that the strength of the Calamacy Church, represented here today and each one sitting before us, that Mesa Grand Academy and all that it has meant through the years will continue to serve you, to create generation after generation of committed Christians. Thank you for your blessings, Father. Thank you for the privilege of letting others see Jesus in us. And now bless us in our separate ways, in our challenges, our pain, and our rejoicing. We pray in your name. Amen. We invite visitors to the luncheon in the fellowship hall and thanks and have a wonderful Sabbath. Join us as we sing victory in Jesus. Mm -hmm. 